The information shared in this podcast does not necessarily represent EVRMA's stance. These podcasts are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Hi, welcome to Fertilipod, a podcast by EVRMA. Dr. Andres Ritz. Welcome back to Fertilipod, the podcast where we discuss current topics and the latest research in the field of reproduction with some of the world's leading experts. Let's get started. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about non-invasive prenatal testing for patients who have undergone IVF and pre-implantation genetic testing. For that, we have invited Dr. Amber Klimchak, who is currently a fellow at the Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Program at Thomas Jefferson University, RMA, New Jersey. She is the author of a recent paper published in November in the MFM Journal of the Gray Journal, the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, MFM. Her paper was about the positive predictive value of non-invasive prenatal testing, or NIPT, in pregnancies conceived after IVF who had undergone pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy after biopsy. And we wanted to have Dr. Klimchak on to discuss this very, very timely topic. Dr. Klimchak, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your busy fellow schedule to be with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to uh, discuss this and I'm excited to um, answer any questions you may have. Awesome. Let's get right in then. So, Non-invasive prenatal testing, um, specifically cell-free fetal DNA testing, is recommended by most American professional societies, ACOG, SMFM, and so forth, to be offered to all pregnant women. What does it consist of? Let's start there. Sure. Uh, so the NIPT is essentially just a blood test. And like you said, it's used to screen for fetal aneuploidies. And what it really does is it's analyzing cell-free DNA fragments. These are coming from the maternal circulation. It's normally performed around nine to 10 weeks. And um, that's because that's when those cell-free DNA fragments are generally high enough in concentration for detection. And many of the embryos conceived by, by IVF have undergone PGTA before transfer, um, meaning a biopsy and invasive PGTA. Um, what are some of the differences between non-invasive prenatal testing during pregnancy and PGTA before implantation? So I think it's important to understand first that for PGTA, which I think most of our listeners understand relatively well, it's operating under the assumption that about you know, five to 10 trophectoderm cells that we're sampling is ultimately gonna be representative of the genotype of the baby later. However, we know that this is not always the case. And especially when we don't know what PGTA assay you're using, the majority of the PGTA assays out there have not undergone validation studies using a non-selection trial. The one that we are using here and that we use for this study has undergone a non-selection trial. But 
there's these other situations like we're often faced with mosaic or segmental results and later they're not confirmed on prenatal diagnostic testing like amniocentesis. So essentially there's this lag that exists between what we can reasonably test at the time point of a blastocyst and decide whether or not to transfer that embryo. And then later to that time point in development where we do prenatal screening, which is around 10 weeks. And what happens between those two time points really remains unknown. And that's where we're seeing this difference. And for the NIPT, like I said, we're analyzing these DNA fragments. There were released from the placenta into the circulation. This is the cytotropoblast and syncytiotropoblast cells that are undergoing you know, fusion, apoptosis, releasing these cells. The NIPT is really looking for the concentration of these. There's not specific cells that we're sampling from the tropectoderms. It's a little bit of a difference there. Um, and then how high that concentration is that we see, which is termed the fetal fraction, um, compared to the maternal cell-free DNA is also going to affect the sensitivity of the test. So for NIPT, we do whole genome sequencing where you can do targeted sequencing using SNPs on the chromosomes, but similar type of sequencing there. Right. And now I think that, I think that was a very, very good review. And I think what we're sort of getting at and what there's been some papers written about in recently is, of course, that the generalized use of, of non-invasive prenatal testing results in embryos created via IVF and PGTA often being tested twice, right? Once directly via PGTA and then again through screening of cell-free DNA. And do you think this is appropriate that we're doing this twice? Is it redundant? What what data do we have about this? Yeah, I mean, this is why we were interested in collecting data for this project. Um, we, we know that um, many women wanted to know whether this is redundant. They've already un undergone testing of their embryo, then they're successfully pregnant, and should they go through the NIPT, you know, in... In short, I think the NIPT detects, if it detects an aneuploidy later that the PGT assay did not report on and that's confirmed via diagnostic testing, then we would never consider it to be redundant. And that's really what we were interested in and why we did this study. Right. Is there is there any data on the concordance of both results on how likely it is that if one shows before your study, if one shows, you know, aneuploidy or not, then the other one will will agree. So specifically for the NIPT, there's no data on the concordance of PGTA and NIPT. But we know from Kielman's paper that about 80% of women who undergo IVF with PGTA will opt for prenatal screening in general. Of those women that opt for prenatal screening, the most common choice is to proceed with NIPT. So about 45% of those women will go with the NIPT. So this is a very common situation. And Reistenberg has a study out there that retrospectively compared all prenatal screening patterns in patients that underwent IVF with or without PGTA. 
And for all of the first trimester screens together, the rate of abnormal screens was very low as expected when they've undergone PGT, but um, it occurred more commonly in patients that had had PGTA versus those that had not. And I think there's you know, probably a good explanation here. Women who are advanced reproductive age are more likely to opt for PGTA in the first place and then are also subsequently more likely to have an abnormal prenatal screen. But that's, those studies were really more for the general prenatal screen and not specific to MAPT. So we noticed that there was definitely a deficit here in the data and we were interested in finding out more. Right. And to that end, you, you published this recent paper that we were talking about in, in AJOG MFM last November, precisely studying the positive predictive value of NIPT in pregnancies conceived after IVF and PGTA. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your paper? Why you did it is pretty clear, but what were what was your design? What, what were your results? Yeah. So, like I said, in this paper, we were really looking at a specific cohort of women, and this was women who had undergone an embryo transfer. We knew it was a euploid embryo based on our PGTA assay, and then later they opted to undergo the NIPT in the first trimester. This was a cohort study. We had a lot of patients. We had over 1,100 patients. I think our final end was 1,139 patients. And from there, we had four patients that we identified that had no call results, meaning maybe their fetal fraction was too low. Sometimes obesity can change this. And we identified another eight patients that had abnormal NIPTs following PGTA. So this was the group that we were really interested in. Of those eight patients, we wanted to see what did their diagnostic testing yield. Of those eight patients, one patient opted out of diagnostic testing completely. She luckily ended up delivering a phenotypically normal baby, so appears to have a normal genotype as well. The other seven all proceeded with invasive diagnostic testing via amniocentesis. And the one um, that we identified that actually had an abnormal karyotype she had an NIPT that was positive for Turner syndrome. And then ultimately the amnio confirmed that that um, testing was 45X and 80% of the cells. So it was essentially a mosaic Turner. So all of this you know, very useful data taken together led us to the conclusion that in this cohort of women, the positive predictive value of the NIPT is low. It's only 12.5%, but we were able to identify a true positive diagnostic test that was not reported on PGTA. Right, so of course, to kind of sum it up, all, all pregnancies, had an embryo that of course had tested as euploid by PGTA because otherwise we would have never gotten to, to transfer. And of those eight had an abnormal NIPT of which one had an abnormal karyotype, which is the one that was confirmed as Turner's mosaicism. Um, this is where you get the 12%, the 12.5% from is the one out of eight. How, how does that compare with the positive predictive value of non-invasive prenatal testing in the general population? So 
this positive predictive value, as expected, is much lower than the general population. But interestingly, as we came to find out, the positive predictive value of NIPT in the general population is a lot harder to nail down than you think. <laughs> and that's because most of these studies were released when they were still screening high-risk patients. And so when you think about the positive predictive value or even the sensitivities and specificities for these tests, you're generally thinking of them based on high-risk populations. So the numbers are much higher. But after a lot of data review, we were able to come to the conclusion that for the general population, meaning every pregnant woman that undergoes the NIPT, regardless of risk status, it seems to that the positive predictive value is about 69%. But still, I mean, almost 70%, this cohort of patients is significantly lower than that. Right. And part of it is probably, I think, because the the positive predictive value is, of course, dependent on, on prevalence. And so if we are using a population, we are studying a population here that is particularly unlikely to have any any aneuploidies considering this being screened for before transfer. Exactly. So, I mean, we can only, we're eliminating so many of those that would be in the general population purely by doing PGTA, exactly. So the prevalence is lower, therefore a positive predictive value is definitely going to be lower as well. Right. And so based on these findings, what, what would be your recommendation regarding non-invasive prenatal testing and pregestation, oh, sorry, pre-implantation genetic testing, should they both be done? Should patient counseling be a little different if they are both done? What, what is your take on all this? Sure. So, you know, I can't comment for specifically if you're facing a patient on whether or not they want to proceed with PGTA. The study doesn't really focus on that, but you know, that if they do proceed with PGTA, our study does demonstrate that the NIPT should be done, and it doesn't appear to be redundant. Um, even in these women that have already transferred what has been deemed a euploid embryo, there is a chance that it, you know, something else could be found later. But when a physician is ordering this test for someone that has had an embryo that has undergone PGTA, they should realize that their counseling should be adjusted. This patient if she has an abnormal NIPT, is much less likely to have a diagnostic test that also confirms that abnormal genotype. So very important, we don't want to cause undue stress or anxiety to our patients, but we also don't want to miss anything. So really the counseling up front is important. You know, this is low risk for you. Most likely this will be a normal test. I mean, you can see the vast majority of the population had a normal NIPT, which is great. But if in the rare case you have an abnormal, then still the most likely finding is going to be that it's a false positive and that the PGTA was in line. Right. So it would be not so much about whether we do both tests or not, rather how we explain to the patient and how we counsel them, but also how we, how we interpret those. Now, what, what are some of the, some of the sort of future studies in this area that you would like to see, or what, where, where do you think this specific area is going? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is an important idea, and especially for all IVF clinics across, across the country, we see these patients through early pregnancy, and your patients are going to have questions about this, so I, I would encourage all clinics to be prospectively collecting this data, and even more so specific to the assay that they're using. Like I said, we really can't comment on other assays that are out there. So concordance rates between those should be reported so that you can appropriately counsel your patient. And I mean, the other thing that we haven't really looked into at all is, like I said, when we have the findings of mosaic or even mosaic segmentals on PGTA, what is the concordance with that when you have a prenatal screen or an NIPT later? So a totally untouched, unresearched area. So I would hope that in the future, maybe we can look at some of that. Yeah, that would be, that would be so, so interesting. And it's good that you point out that you know, all, all of this applies specifically to the platform and the, and the specific assay used by you and not, not to any other PGT assay, right? Right. Correct. Very important. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, this has been great. It's been very, very informative. Thanks for having me. Happy to speak with you about this. Anytime. Anytime. Hopefully we'll have you on soon again. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of FertiliPod by EVRMA. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for more research and topic discussions and all things reproductive medicine. See you next week. Thank you.